Well, Rated Church, man, you guys are looking good tonight. So glad you, you're here with us. And if you were here last week, you know, we're in a series called Playa. And, and you know, this is week two for you guys. But I told you last week that it's actually part three and four of something I did last semester at our other church that we lead called City Church, you know, for the families and all the old people. And um, if you want to catch those first two weeks, you can go back and look at it. You can go to our website at the city, right? It's the city LBK. Uh, dot church. Uh, and you can watch the first two weeks of Playa. Um, but kind of a lot of the content is coming from this book I've been reading. It's called The Cure. What if God isn't who you think he is and neither are you? And I'm telling you guys, this, this book, reading it just slowly over the last year, going through it with different people, it's rocking my world in the best possible way. I mean, just flipping my, my faith upside down in a good way. And a lot of people I'm talking to, man, it seems like more and more of them are going through the exact same things and kind of having the same identity crisis, if you will, and when it comes to our relationship with God and how we view ourselves and how we uh, view him. And uh, just to kind of catch you up, if you've missed any of those things, um, the first week, this was the end of last semester, you guys haven't heard a lot of this except for what I recapped last week, but we talked about how we have a choice in our relationship with God. You know, a lot of us choose to, to strive, right? We want to strive to please God. We want to strive to, to be all that he wants us to be. We want to work hard to take care of our sin, working hard on our sin to achieve intimacy, right? We all, we all want an intimate relationship with God, and we think, man, i got to clean this sin up in my life so I can have a better relationship with him. But we, we learn there's a, there's a better way, and that way is living out of God out of who God says we are, not striving to earn his love, striving to earn his acceptance, but instead because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can now live out of who he says we are. And instead of our sin separating us from God, because you know if we're believers, Jesus paid for all that, now we can see we're standing with God and we're working on my sin together. And then the next week, we talked about how we crave intimacy with God and with other people. Intimate relationships, and, and that means relationships where we're fully known, Right, the good, the bad, the ugly, all the worst about you, fully known and yet still fully loved. That's what we all crave, right? But we're afraid to risk that with people and we're afraid to risk that with God. And so we wear masks, we hide, we pretend to be somebody we're not maybe. Our shame causes us to hide from God and we pretend with people and that ultimately keeps us from receiving love because we can't receive their love because of the masks we know they don't know the real us so they can't possibly love us so the only way to really receive love in the right way and to give love in the right way is to be ourselves with other people and with God and then last week we talked about the the battle really is in our minds the way we think the way we view ourselves and we learned we have two natures right we have the sin nature we're born sinful to the curse of sin. And then, you know, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we now have the Spirit of God in us. And Paul told us, remember, there are two sides that are opposing each other, and they're constantly at war with each other, our sin nature and our new spirit nature. And we learn we have a part to play. We need to throw off our sinful nature and put on your new nature. Each and every day, a conscious decision. And we need to change by letting God change the way we think. Everything starts in our minds. And we learned also that we're not just hoping to someday change into who we want to be someday, right? We simply need to let God mature us into what we already are. And who does he say we are? We are 
perfect and holy and blameless without a single fault right now because of what Jesus did for us. And so our lives are just a process of God maturing us into what we already are, much like the caterpillar and the butterfly. Caterpillar doesn't look like a butterfly. It doesn't act like a butterfly, but it is a butterfly. It needs the time to mature into what it was created to be. And then we left you with this thought. I'm not who I was even on my worst day. And that's true for each and every one of you who call Jesus your Lord. You're not who you were. And so we're talking about living lives of freedom. And we don't always, as Christians, we don't always feel free. Sometimes we feel, you know, uh, chained to a, to a sin or an addiction. We feel bound up. John, wait, yeah, John 8 So the son, if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And we've been set free from our sin, right? So why don't we always feel free? We've talked about, you know, being free from our life of shame and experiencing all God has for us in in, in this life and how he wants to make our lives better, make us better at life, that kind of thing. But what if there's something still in your life that's keeping you locked down, keeping you weighed down, keeping you chained up? Could there be something else? And I'm going to go ahead and be up front with you tonight. This, isn't, this is not going to be mind-blowing stuff, right? It's stuff that you have heard before, probably. Very, very, very simple. But I can promise you it's one of the most difficult things you will ever do. And it has the potential to change your life, to, to unlock you from what's been weighing you down. So we're talking about something we can't get around in our lives, and that's relationships with other people. Relationships with other people. You know, we want to be fully known and fully loved. We want to take our masks off with people and be who we really are. That's what we're all after. But the problem with that is that requires from us a certain level of vulnerability, right? We're not, we're not very good at being vulnerable sometimes. Why? Because that opens us up to be hurt. Even surrounded by Christians that are trying to do life the right way, right? Even if we're in a community of people that are living like us and chasing hard after God and wanting to be more like Jesus, even in those circles, we can be hurt by people. When we expect it the least. See, that's why church people sometimes can cut us deeper than anyone else. And maybe you have been hurt by someone in a church. We've all been hurt. We all carry some offense, right? And some pain from something someone's done to us somewhere along the way. Maybe you're carrying something with you. Maybe it's a new offense. Maybe it's something you've carried for years. Maybe it's something you've carried for most of your life. Maybe you've lost relationships over it that were important to you. Maybe you left a church somewhere along the way. Maybe you even walked away from God because of something that someone did to you or said to you. Because it's not a matter of if, right? It's a matter of when, (laughs) So I I think we need to start tonight acknowledging there are no perfect people, not even Christians, right? Not even pastors. This might surprise you, but not even Clayton Walker. 
He's not perfect, okay? We're all broken. And every single person on the face of the earth that you come in contact with, if given the time and the opportunity, will let you down. You can guarantee it. So it's going to happen. So the question is, what do we do when it does? I've been, you know, I was raised in church. I'm going to turn 40 this year. I've been in ministry for 20 years, which I realize is longer than most of you have been alive. And I'm okay with that. I've seen amazing things. I've seen, I've been a part of some incredible churches, man. I've seen God do some incredible things through his people, but I've also seen the absolute worst that the church has to offer. I mean, Christians just acting in the worst ways, injuring me and my family in the worst possible ways. I've seen pastors lie and cheat and steal affairs, church splits. I mean, you name it, I've seen it. And we all carry these wounds with us. So tonight, we're going to talk about what do we do? Because see, we're going to be tempted when we're hurt. We're going to be tempted to put that mask back on and to retreat back in our shell so we're not hurt again. But I'm telling you tonight, there's a, there's a better way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So this is kind of where we're starting off tonight. He's saying... We need to be kind and compassionate, right? And forgive each other just as Christ forgave us. And we know that because of our new nature in Jesus, because we have his spirit in us, our new nature longs to do this. Like it wants this. It wants to be kind and compassionate. It wants to forgive, right? Because Jesus, that's exactly what he lived his life to do. And that's desperately what we want. And he's describing here how we can then be free from the offenses that we carry with us to the injustices done to us. We have to relinquish our grip on the junk that we carry around with us. So let's look at the pattern. We, we've all been through this. It's a pattern of offense, if you will, right? We get hurt. Somebody says something. Somebody does something. Someone take, takes advantage of us. And this is particularly hurtful if it's someone that you love, someone that you care about, someone that you trust. It cuts deep. Then you become preoccupied with it. Like it dominates your thoughts. You build your case in your own mind, right? You become the, the attorney and the judge and the jury. Then you become un unable to love well. Like it so overwhelms your life. It pulls you away from it, relationships in your life that are important to you. And that lead to you ultimately being healthy. And then eventually you lose your joy. Like you're just a miserable person. And as a result, you're miserable to be around. And eventually bitterness, bitterness takes root. And, and you know this, man. Bitterness is poison to your soul. It eats away at you from the inside. Stealing everything good that God has put in you. And sadly, you start to question God's motives and his intentions and his love for you. 
you start to question him. Where's God? Because we've all, as Christians, we've all heard maybe this verse, verses like it. If God is for us, who can ever be against us, right? So if God is for me, then where is he? If he's for me, he should have done something by now. He should have stepped up for me by now. The situation should have come to light by now. I should have been vindicated. Like that person should have been punished by now. Where is he? And so it leads you to the conclusion that he's not for you. Maybe he's not with you. Maybe he's turned his back on you. And you carry that root of bitterness everywhere you go. But I can tell you tonight, it, it's possible. And I hope tonight we can kind of take steps towards um, freedom when it comes to our relationships and the, 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 the hurt and the disappointment and the pain that we carry from relationships. And I'll start with this. Like, here's a good question for us. Who is forgiveness for? Who is it for? See, the goal in all of this is to see forgiveness in a whole different way. When we start before our, our God, forgiving someone between him and us, and we begin to heal from whatever was done to us. It's not just about getting over it, right? Putting it in the past, moving on, excusing someone else's behavior. No, no, it's way better than that. So let's go. Before we even get into forgiveness, there's a couple of things that we need to do with us. And it starts right here. It starts with humility. Humility. It's all about humility. See, the, the pattern we looked at before, the pattern of offense, all that is in us is the, the pride kind of showing its face. We have to start first with Humility. Humility is trusting God with us, right? God, I trust you with me. I submit to you. But also trusting others with us. Pride is the opposite. Pride is, is like self-defense, self-preservation. It's untrusting. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6 says, And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. It starts with humility. Saying, God, I can't do it, but you can. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. We got to humble ourselves under his power, knowing that he has us. Not at the right time, I will vindicate myself. I will defend myself. It's saying, no, humility starts with saying, it's not me, God, it's you. I'm trusting that you're going to do whatever needs to be done, however that looks, even if it's not the way I thought it should look. Got to clothe ourselves in humility. Because basically at this point, if we're carrying offense and we're carrying the hurt with us, we've, we've told God, you know what? I got this. I don't need your help. I'm going to go it alone. I don't, I don't trust you with me. I've got to defend myself. We've shunned him. 
and insisted on going it alone. And that leads us to what's next. And some of you might find this hard to swallow, but it's this. Next is repentance. Repentance. And you might be like, what? Repentance? Like, maybe you're forgetting here, but I'm the victim. I didn't do anything wrong. And you might be thinking, you you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they put me through. You don't know just the, the, the terrible consequences that have shown itself in my life, what I've had to deal with my whole life. Like, you don't understand. Why in the world would I have to repent? They need to be the ones to repent. I'm, I'm good, right? But listen, repentance is just, it goes hand in hand with humility. It's, it's, it's kind of bowing before God and saying, you know what? I can't do it, but you can. And it's repenting of the fact that we've gone it alone. We haven't trusted God with us. It has to start there. Because in reality, you've carried bitterness and have chosen to ignore God's protection and go it alone. So we have to start on our knees. See, we we can't truly be be healed if we're not humble to the point and, and just tired, right? Weary to the point that you kind of fall to your knees and you're like, God, I give up. I can't do this. But I know that you can and I trust myself with you and I trust my situation with you what if what if repentance wasn't a promise from you to God but a gift from God to you we think of repentance as like God I'm sorry I won't do it again right forgive me what if repentance was more than just a promise you make to God and more of a gift from God to you as as kind of a doorway in our relationship with him where we can come to him and surrender whatever it is. That's where we start to win. That's where we start to heal. First John chapter one says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from some of our sin, right? No, all of our sin. This is, a, this is a key to the whole thing. Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, that's how we're cleansed of our sin, but not just our sin. It also is powerful enough to cleanse us from the sin that's been done against us, from people that have sinned against us. Here's a quote from the book. Unfortunately, many have been taught that this that this is the cleansing power of the cross for our sins we have done without carefully noting that God is capable of cleansing us from all the sin done to us as well. If we miss this point, we will misunderstand how absolutely necessary forgiveness is for our sake. I cannot live well with the unresolved, uncleansed effects of sin done against me. It's not just about your sin. It's about trusting in him to cleanse us of our sin and also all the effects of the sin done against us. So we've come a long way. 
We've been through humility. We've repented that now we're ready to, to start. And before we do, I just want to remind you of who you are and who God is and how he sees you. Okay, just all take a deep breath and let's remind ourselves, God, he loves you. And he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. You can't do anything to change his love for you. He's with you. He doesn't move. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't turn his back. He is there ever present with you. And he's for you. He's for you. He wants what's the absolute best for you. He's in control. Ultimately, we can't control anything. God is in control. God doesn't make mistakes. And here's the beautiful part. God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste anything. Remember, when we hurt, when our hearts hurt, God's heart hurts. And when we're wounded by someone else, it, it hurts him. And he has this beautiful way of taking the wounds in our life and turning them into something that ultimately works for our good. He doesn't waste it if we just let him. So we got to start off believing this. He's good. And he wants what is best for us. So let's go. First, first thing we have to do. If we want to be free, we have to admit something happened. This might seem a, a little bit obvious, right? But before we can ever start the process of forgiving, before we can ever start the process of truly healing, we have to admit that something happened. You might be tempted to skip this, right? Maybe it's too painful to think about. Maybe it was a long time ago, so it's ancient history, right? Maybe something happened when you were a kid and you don't remember all the details just right. Maybe you just think, you know, as a mature Christian, it shouldn't bother you, right? So you just need to, to get over it and move on. But we can't take any steps forward of being free from whatever we're carrying if we don't first admit that someone has committed a sin against us. That's where you start. Then, I must recognize the consequences of the act done against me. You gotta recognize the consequences. Write them down. A lot of times, the, the consequences of the sin outweigh the sin itself. So you gotta recognize in your life, how in my life has this thing affected me in negative ways? Maybe you've experienced shame. Maybe you've become fearful, anxiety. Maybe you've felt demeaned, devalued. Maybe someone manipul manipulated you. Maybe it affected relationships in your life. Maybe you lost friends. Maybe it affected your job or school or grades. How has it changed? Listen to this one. Has it changed the way you see yourself? Your attitude towards love, towards friendship, towards God. You gotta recognize those things. It's affected you. Call it out, write it down. Then, I must tell God what happened to me. Tell God what happened to you. And you might be thinking, he already knows what happened to you, right? 
But think about where we've been. We've just talked about how we've kind of shunned God's help and we've like, no, I've got this. I'm going to go it alone. And he's seen us carry this weight. He's seen us struggle. And when your heart hurts, his heart hurts. He's watched you go it alone for how long? So he's been, he's been waiting for this moment, as any good parent would, for their kid to come to them and tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. And you tell him. You give him every detail. He wants to be in every detail of our lives. So tell him what happened. Be completely honest. He wants to hear all of it. And then finally, I must forgive my offender for my benefit. I need to forgive my offender for my benefit. See, forgiveness has an order. We have two different relationships in our lives. We have the vertical relationship, us and God, right? Then you have horizontal relationships with, with all the other people. There's an order to this whole thing. First, it has to be between you and God, the vertical transaction. Now, it doesn't let anyone off the hook. It has nothing to do with restoring a relationship with this other person. It has not, not anything to do with the other person. It's about you and God and about trusting him. It's a choice that you have to make to, to free yourself of what you've been carrying and the bitterness and the pain that you've been holding. And it's, it's a huge act of trust between you and God. You're giving up your rights to decide what should happen to that other person. Right? You're, you're, you're handing the case over to the only one who really knows everything and really knows both sides of the situation. And you're saying, listen, I trust you with this. I'm moving it out of my realm and into yours. I'm totally handing it to you. This is the difficult part. This is where the rubber meets the road, right? This, this is where it starts to get real because you're taking a major risk. You risk forgiving someone, right? You're, you're risking handing over the consequences of whatever it is, forgiving them, releasing them from the offense, even if they never come around and apologize. That's not easy to do. You're, you're risking forgiving them, releasing them from the offense, even if they go on the rest of their lives thinking they did nothing wrong. That's the level of trust you have to have in your heavenly father as you give it to him. You trust him with it, with every outcome, whatever. It's not about forgetting, for, you know, forgive and forget. Let's just get past it. No, it's about your relationship with God. And trusting him with you. And you stay there. You stay there till, till you're done doing that. <laughs> it might take a while. It might take a, a matter of, of time, right? You stay there till you're done. You might be like, well, how do I know when I'm done? The moment you can offer that person that offended you your love again. And you can truly say, God, I, I'm okay with whatever outcome. I'm giving this to you and, and you, 
you know, I trust you to do whatever needs to be done. When you can truly do that, you're, you're done. Here's another quote from the book. It says, when forgiveness stays only in my mind as a formula or technique, it doesn't sink deep into my heart. When I choose to let go, to forgive vertically before God, remember we talked about that, it's like huge cement bags have been lifted off my shoulders. It's like coming out of a moldy basement with a cement floor and suddenly breathing ocean air. It feels like being home. How many of you have been walking through life carrying the cement bags on your shoulders? See, truly forgiving in that vertical transaction is the most freeing experience that you can possibly have. Now, a side note, forgiveness and trust are two different issues, right? Forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean you fully trust them again. Trust can be lost like that, but it takes a long time to build it back. It may never come back. You may never have the same relationship you had. Forgiving them doesn't mean you fully trust them right away. The bottom line is this. Your goal should be reconciliation, not just conflict resolution. So it's not just about resolving this fight, right? It's, it's a reconciliation in your heart where you can love that person again. You may be like, well, you don't know what they did. I promise you, it's possible. It's possible. It's, it's not easy one of the most difficult things you'll ever have to do, but it is so vitally crucial for you. Ephesians chapter four, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. You think forgiveness is difficult? What did it cost Jesus to forgive you? What did it cost Jesus to forgive you? It cost him everything. Everything. He gave it all. It's a, it's a difficult process, but it's so, so worth it. And then Jesus says that we should love the way he loved us, right? We talked about this in the second week of this series, but how Jesus sat around the table with his closest friends, the 12. He'd spent so many years with day and night. He loved them. And he sat there sh sharing a meal with them, knowing that in a few hours, they would all abandon him. One would sell him off for some silver. One would deny he even knew him. They would all not show up to his trial to defend him. And only one would be there as he hung there on the cross, dying. He sits there in front of them. And he says, listen, the way everybody's going to know that you belong to me, you love each other the way that I have loved you. And oh, by the way, you don't know this yet, but I'm about to give everything for you. In the middle of their sin and what they knew they were about to do, he, he's like, I'm about to give it all 
so that you can be forgiven. All of it. First Peter chapter two. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example. Christ is our example. And you must follow him in these steps. He, he never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Jesus himself left his fate in the hands of of God, the ultimate judge. He trusted God. And it, it gets even crazier than that. After he's been stripped and beaten and you know whipped with the, the cat of nine tails and the, the crown crushed on top of his head and he's got his beard plucked out and spit on, he's, dr- he's drug his own cross up, up, to, up to the top of the hill and they've nailed him to it. He's hanging there. And even in his suffering, as his friends are all gone, They're still mocking him. They're laughing. They're insulting him. And he does the the craziest thing. What he says as he's drawing his last breaths is astounding to me. It's the, the greatest act of forgiveness in the history of the world. He says this. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They hadn't even repented yet. They were still in the middle of their sin. He trusts God with his pain. He says, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Absolutely incredible. He's our example to follow. One of the craziest stories I've ever heard when it comes to forgiveness is about these five missionaries in the, uh, the mid-50s. There's a picture of them here. And Jim Elliott is kind of the most famous one. They made a movie about this. Um, it's called The End of the Spear. But basically, these five missionaries, they, they go into the jungles of Ecuador to try to reach the, the, these, um, the Alcas people. And they were this Indian tribe that was really dangerous and uncivilized. In fact, any outsider that had ever come to them, they kill them. And and these dudes knew all this when they went in there, but they wanted to reach them for Jesus. I want to read you a little of their story. They're going to be passing out some cards and pens to you guys. We're going to do something with those here in just a minute. But listen to this. So the missionaries were flown in one by one and dropped off on the Alca beach. Nate Saint then flew over the Alca village and called for them to come to the beach. After four days, a man and two women appeared. It was not easy for them to understand each other since the missionaries only knew a few phrases of their language. They shared a meal with them. And Nate took the man up for a flight in the plane. The missionaries tried to show sincere friendship and asked them to bring others next time. For the next two days... The missionaries waited for other Alcas to return. Finally, on day six, two Alca women walked out of the jungle. Jim and Pete excitedly jumped in the river and waded over to them. As they got closer, these women didn't look friendly. Jim and Pete almost immediately heard a terrifying cry behind them. As they turned, 
they saw a group of warriors with their spears raised. Jim Elliott reached for the gun in his pocket. He had to decide instantly if he should use it, but he knew he couldn't. Each of the missionaries had promised they wouldn't kill an Alka who did not know Jesus just to save himself. Within seconds, the warriors drew their spears, killing all five missionaries. But the story doesn't end there. See, widows of some of these missionaries that were killed, some of their kids, right, whose dads were murdered, Within a couple of years, they moved back into that village. And through love and extraordinary act of, of forgiveness, most of this tribe turned towards Jesus. Got saved, got baptized. And crazier than that, Steve Saint, the son of Nate, who he was five when his dad got killed. Him and some of his family still live in that village with these people today. This is him right here. Not only that, he was baptized in the same river where his dad died by these guys that killed his dad. Not only that, but he now considers one of these men, the man who actually killed his father, he considers him one of his dearest friends, considers him to be a father figure. That is what it's all about. Forgiveness. It's so difficult, but it can have huge results. Do you have any idea who's watching you? Do you have any idea who, who's taking note of how you live your life and how you deal with adversity and how you deal with maybe forgiveness? Do you have any idea what your choice of forgiveness could mean for them? It's difficult, but it's worth it. So here's what we're gonna do, some homework. You have a pen, you have a card. We're gonna do a personal inventory, if you will. First, ask yourself this. How's my relationship with God? Do you remember the vertical transaction, your relationship with him? Then you have the horizontal. It kind of makes a cross, right? Easy to, to remember. As you know, think about that. Your horizontal relationships actually hang on the vertical relationship. You can't love anyone else in your life the right way unless you love Jesus first, unless you love him most. It starts with your relationship with him. What's your relationship with God like? Maybe you don't have one. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. I'm pleading with you tonight to start one. There's no magical prayer. There's no list of things you've got to do. You simply confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe that he was raised from the dead. You believe that he died carrying the, the consequence of your own sin. And now he's risen from the dead giving you a way to be reconciled with God. If you want to make that decision to follow him, do it tonight. Do it tonight. He wants to make your life better. He wants to make you better at life if you'll just let him. And secondly, what broken relationships need my attention? What broken relationships need my attention? Make a list 
listen, I'm not, I'm not saying go through your life and write everyone's name down of everyone that ever looked at you funny, right? I'm talking about, you know, you've been thinking about it this whole time. Whatever you're carrying with you, bitterness, resentment, anger, whatever it is from that broken relationship, somebody that sinned against you, which one of those needs your attention? Write their name down. And finally, what relational wounds from my past have I not dealt with? What wounds from your past are you still carrying that you've never really dealt with, never really talked through with anyone? And, and I get, man, there's a lot of people here. You've all been through different things, some worse than others. Some of you have been through the, the most atrocious things I can't even imagine. And maybe... There's some of us that, that need help from a professional person. We're big believers around here about Christian counseling, man. We, we all do it. If you want a recommendation for a, a Christian counselor, we'd be happy to give you one of those. But there's something you need to deal with. And I want to encourage you, take this list, go home, get a journal. Guys, it doesn't have to be girly, right? Just get a piece of paper and a pen and just start writing stuff. Start cataloging some of this stuff. Go through the steps right? As you acknowledge what was done and you acknowledge the consequences in your life and you tell God what happened and ultimately you offer forgiveness, you release the offense to God, trusting him with it and let him do work in you as you get the weight lifted off your shoulders. You can, you can do it. You can do it. And bigger than that, you can't afford not to. It's always worth it. Jesus himself said, come to me, all who are weary. Man, there's nothing more tiring than carrying junk like this your whole life. He says, come to me. Give it to me. It'll be the most beautiful thing you ever do. Forgiveness breaks down walls. It frees hearts it restores families and it draws out the best in us the band's going to come mark is going to lead in a song and during this song i want you to stay seated if you want to and do some writing do some praying be there in front of god as as honest as you can be no role playing no pretending and if you need to write something you can write it but let God deal with you during this song. And I want to leave you with one more quote. It's this. There, I turned my TV off. It's cool. Listen, it's from Lewis Smedes, a theologian. He says this. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that tonight we've taken steps towards forgiveness we've taken steps towards healing taking steps toward you god we know your heart is for us we know you, you want what's best for us we know that it breaks your heart god to see us carrying this junk alone so we say god we trust you with it i pray this next week would be revolutionary in a lot of our lives as we deal with stuff that we haven't in a long time God, we want to move towards forgiveness because ultimately it's what you did for us, God, and it's what our hearts long to do for others. In your name.